Hi, and welcome to the Genesis Podcast. We're so glad to be able to bring a small portion of our community to you through this medium and hope that you'll join us in our endeavor to embolden one another to change the world by effectively representing Jesus Christ. If you would like to know more about who we are as a community, as well as when and where we meet, you can visit us online at thegenesisstory.com. Also, if you have benefited from this podcast in any way or would like to participate in what we're doing here at Genesis, would you consider partnering with us by donating online again at www.thegenesisstory.com. There you can select the giving tab and how you would like to contribute to the general fund or even to the building fund. Remember, we can do more together than we can ever do alone. Thanks for taking the time to be with us. God bless. Good morning, everybody. Today we are continuing in the Beatitudes, and we are going to be looking at verse 6 of chapter 5. This keeps cutting out, Rick. I don't know why. Let's pause and let's pray as we get started. God, we thank you for our time together once again. I thank you for the people who have taken their time to wake up this morning, get ready. Many, it's their only day off, and they are choosing to be with us here this morning. And I pray, Lord, that the time would be rewarded with you, with your voice in our life, with your spirit ministering to our hearts, with you encouraging us and giving us a direction. Lord, this time is set aside so that we can grow in our relationship with one another and with you. And we pray it takes place and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So Matthew 5, verse 6 Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. This morning I'm going to talk about family wills, a word, painting a warehouse, people watching, lunch in kindergarten, and what makes you mad. Don't jump the gun. I didn't ask you yet. Before Jesus stood up to give this talk, the Sermon on the Mount, as it's called. We saw in the previous chapter that he was tested in the wilderness. And that temptation in the wilderness, there are a lot of things that come out not only in that event, but also in that chapter that are laying the foundation for what he is actually saying in this chapter. And it's important to understand so we have context, we have a a continuity of what he is saying. In chapter 4, verses 2 to 4, after fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. In verses 9 and 10, he says, again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. In verse 17, from that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. 
Remember, we talked about what it means the kingdom of heaven is near. It is present. It's not like it's somewhere in the future. It is actually, as Jesus said, when Judas was coming with the Roman soldiers to take him away, he says, the one who accuses me is even near. And it was just moments before that happened. It's the same word. The kingdom of heaven is this close. In verse 23, Jesus went through Galilee, throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness among the people. We see that the kingdom of heaven is central to Jesus's words and his theme. It is central to what he is saying throughout this whole gospel. The kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God is what he is declaring. And He's declaring these things, and we are going to find out now in the Beatitudes what a citizen of that kingdom looks like. Remember when the tempter came to Jesus and tempted him? He tempted him to take his authority if you are the son of God, act on that in a way that will provide for you. Make these stones to bread. In other words, take your authority and do something miraculous. And Jesus' response was not, well, I know I'm the son of God, but I'm not going to. He said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. I am not going to deal with this as the son of God. I am going to deal with this as man. Because that's who he has come to represent. And how he's living is showing us how we are to live. And so he didn't just pull, uh, you know, grab it out of the hat kind of a trick. And I'm going to now take this stone, make it bread. As a man, he went through the pain and suffering. And the other temptation to be given the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. But to do it without sacrifice. And he was not going to gain the kingdom without going through the process. And that sacrifice was part of that process. And so we come to the place where he says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. We have to define righteousness. And I've said this before, and this is crucial. Righteousness is relational. It is not just about doing right things. Of course, it's ethical as well, but primarily it's about our relationship with one another and our relationship with God. The Greek word referred to a person's obligation to God and to others. And specific expectations were attached to every relationship. There were right things to do in any given relationship. And if we lose this, if we make it just about something that is ethical, we lose the essence of what he is saying. I have had the privilege to do many memorial services for people who have passed away, for loved ones, people that I have known and loved myself dearly and people who are known by the people who I know. And it is a sad thing to see what takes place 
after a person passes many times in the family, where there becomes this bickering over the will. Who's going to get the stuff? And it's amazing because at the service or at the time, everyone is, you know, very sad and just sympathy for the family and all these things. But then a few days later, people start wanting to know, well, what am I going to get? Or who's getting this? Who's getting the car? Who's getting the tools in the garage? And I can tell you stories, but I don't want to because they're sad stories of all the things that happen. You see, this idea of passing is now attached to the relationships of all these people And with it, how are we going to deal with one another is an important part of what takes place. And and this is righteousness. This is how we deal with these kinds of things, this kind of justice. And we are supposed to understand our interaction with other people matters very much. Paul gave it this flavor in Romans, and he said, Give to everyone what you owe them. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. If honor, then honor. There is some sort of obligation inerrant in every human interaction. Paul goes on to say, Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. For whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. And so here is the ultimate righteous standard to bring love into every interaction and allowing it to guide our speech and our action instead of our greed or our wants. Love is the obligation that never goes away. I was doing a dog training lesson this last week. And it was a wild little terrier that was being aggressive. It had bit the husband and uh, had been barking incessantly at people. And so I'm there and I'm doing the training and I'm talking with them and I've got the dogs staring at me again as they do, right? They're just looking at me like, what are you doing here? And what are you going to do? And so I'm going through the training with the dog and, and, you know, the dog's trying to bite my boots and that's why I wore the boots and I'm kind of showing them what they need to do to get the dog in the place. And it doesn't take long and the dog starts settling down a little bit. And as I'm instructing them that this is what we're going to do, the husband starts laughing and he says to his wife, he goes, you're not going to do this. And he says, I told you. This is what needs to happen, but you can't do this. You're just not going to do it. And her face started turning the most beautiful shade of red (laughs) as she was very upset with her husband, in a sense, belittling her in in this situation, right? And so she got up and she got up with authority and boom, she started doing it. It was almost like, oh, yes, I am. You know, and so she did it. And so interacting with them later, he kept on going through all the things that she has failed to do and kind of putting her down and putting her down. And it was hard to watch, right? And it was hard to take. 
And she did great, and the dog did good, and everything was going on. I found out she's actually a lawyer, right? So she's going to sue that husband. Or, no, she's going <laughs> to... After the lesson was completed, and her husband you know, dismissed himself, and he said, I, I got to go and take care of some things. And he went, and I was just talking with her, and she told me that she was a lawyer. And I said, you're a lawyer? And I just looked at her, and I said you've got this. You're going to do this and you're going to be fine. You did great today and I don't have any doubt that you're going to continue doing good. And that little word, right? Remember, bless three people this week. That was my one person who doesn't come to Genesis. And just telling her this, I could see the change in her countenance. She just all of a sudden just, confidence and i could tell that she was ready to go before the judge and make her case right (laughs) she's got this and we have to understand that love is the obligation that goes away that the way we interact with people is how righteousness is displayed that it's not just about doing things it's about being there with people and for people. In the Hebrew scriptures, righteousness is often paired with justice. They they go hand in hand. The role that righteousness plays between two people is the role that justice plays in society. So the way righteousness takes place is how justice takes place in society. Righteousness and justice are not only God's will, but he delights in seeing them practiced and universally. In Jeremiah chapter 9, it says, But let the one who boasts boast about this, that they have the understanding to know me, that I am the Lord who exercises kindness, justice, and righteousness on earth. For in these I delight, declares the Lord. This is what... God is wanting. This is what Jesus is referring to when he talks about hungering and thirsting for righteousness. It is this interaction, this relational dynamic that takes place between people and takes place between God as well. And so Jesus would go on and push this and help them to understand. And they must have been shocked when Jesus said, for I tell you, Unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. What did they think when he said that? You see, the scribes devoted their lives to copying and understanding the scriptures, interpreting the Torah, the law. The Pharisees devoted their lives to following the law and the oral tradition, to every minute detail. In fact, they made up details that were more minute because they wanted to show their dedication. And Jesus comes along and says, yeah, your righteousness has to surpass this. It wasn't that you have to do more. You have to be more. When I used to do painting, I remember working and we were painting different uh, 
warehouses. And we were doing some work for a company that hired us to go and paint this warehouse. And it was over in the city of industry. And we thought it was just a small little warehouse, you know, maybe about like 20,000 square foot. And we were going to go and paint the metal roof that was on there. And so we got into this one portion, and it was a pretty good size. And we got up, and we had to scrape all the dust and junk that was on there first. And then we had to primer it with this oil-based primer, and then we had to paint it. It was an ordeal, and it was a mess. You'd get up there, and we had this, you know, compressor that was blowing the dust off and a scraper scraping the things off and I was just covered I looked like you know just this dust monster I had a mask and I had goggles but I was sweating it was the summer and it was just miserable right and so we were in this one place and the guy saying well good you guys are doing good get used to it you're going to be here a while I thought well we could finish this in a couple of days he goes oh no he goes come with me And we go through this one door and we go into this other door. And there is, I'm not kidding, 500,000 square foot warehouse. He goes, we got to do all this. I just went and cried, right? I just like, "Ah." it's like, this is too much for me. We spent months there and I hated it. This is too much for me. Surpass the the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees. This is too much. We we can't do this. And again, it's not a matter of quantity. It's the nature of the righteousness. Their problem was that the righteousness is relational, but they had made it moral and legal. And you see, I can become righteous in this sense, without really having to deal with people or even with God, right? I'll just do the right things. I'll just act the right way, but I don't really have to interact with God with this kind of righteousness. I don't really have to interact with other people and I can see myself as righteous. It's kind of the easy way to do this and it makes me feel good, but I'm not really doing good. And that's the difference. A relational righteousness turns my attention to others and how I treat them. The kingdom of heaven is all about righteousness, but it's about this kind of righteousness. So Jesus would say, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And then God will care for all those things that you need. But what he is doing and how he is doing it needs to be the priority in our lives. Matthew's entire gospel is a development of these combined themes, righteousness and kingdom of God. Near the end of the book, when Jesus describes the day of judgment, he describes it like this. He says, then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? And when did we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? The king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of 
my brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. The righteous will answer him. When did we do these things to you? He says, when you did it to them, you did it to me. So the identification of righteous are the people who are showing kindness, the people who are taking care and doing these things. If I were to be honest with you, and I should be, I'm a pastor and I'm standing in front of you, I would have to admit that the focal point of my life is me. Just is. I know it should be my wife and it should be my kids and it even should be my grandkids who are just the most adorable things in the world, right? But the truth is, my focus is usually on me. I know I think about me more than you do. But I know you think about you more than I do too. You see, I think about what's upsetting me. Think about what is the solution to the things that are upsetting me. But is it possible to change that focal point? Is it possible to take these things that are so self-centered and move them to a place where they're actually other-centered? What problems do others have? How can I be a part of the solution to their struggles? Instead of thinking about what someone does to annoy me, how can I help them with their demeanor and the things that they're going through, right? Right. (laughs) See, when someone calls me at three in the morning because they want to, you know, get me to help them with their problem, that's an opportunity for me to not just help them, but help them know you don't call people at three in the morning unless it's life or death, right? I mean, if you're in the hospital or something's going on, yeah, call me. But if it's just like, I'm feeling really sad right now, it's like, I'm feeling something too, and it's not sad, right? I have to help them understand you don't call at three in the morning if you're just sad. Otherwise, I'm going to block you. You call at a time that's convenient for those people and then we can have a talk and we can go over those things. Do you understand? You see, now I'm not just thinking about the fact that I'm irked. I'm actually trying to help this person adjust and deal with things in a proper way. That's how we should deal with those things and not just get upset, not just hang up on them or get upset in those things. Have you noticed how you tend to be more objective with other people's problems than your own, right? Well, I've got the solution that you need. I can tell you all about how to fix your problem. But when it comes to me, it's, "Ah, if you don't understand, I should look in the mirror, right? And just tell myself the things I tell other people, right? But we are so objective with others Maybe we need to develop different objectivity, a different concern and empathy. And maybe that 
then will help to change who we are. You know, it's always fun to go someplace, especially if it's a place where there's a lot of people and, and watch the people that are there, especially if at Disneyland or someplace where you got people coming from different countries and you try to guess what country they're coming from, you know, and you're just listening to the dialect and you're seeing the clothing and the interaction that's there. And you think of stories, what brought that person here? What, what did they go through to make it to Disneyland? And, and especially if it's in the summertime and they're red and sweating and flustered, you just wonder, why did they do this, right? Why did they spend all this energy and money to leave their home, come to this country and come here and, and do this? Well, there is an instance where Jesus people watches too, but it's not at the mall and it's not at Disneyland, something like that. Jesus in verse chapter 9, verse 36, he saw the crowds and he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into the harvest field. He saw people as harassed and helpless, as sheep that needed a shepherd. He did not see them as annoying. He did not see them in the wrong political party. He did not see them as someone who did not agree with them or did agree with them. He saw their need. And I wonder what would happen if we changed how we see people. He didn't just observe them. He saw the need and then he acted to help them. He actually interceded for them. He didn't just care for them while he was there. He actually developed disciples who would then go on and carry out what he was doing and then multiply and multiply so that what he saw, the needs of everybody could be met. He cared enough to step in. And it wasn't like he would just wave a magic wand and it would go away. I think we have a mentality sometimes of Christianity that it's magic. That when someone is going through something difficult or struggling, that we can say a prayer in Jesus' name and everything is going to just change. But sometimes it's going to take sweat. Sometimes it's going to take tears. Sometimes it's going to take involvement. Oh, I wish it could be all good. And we want it to be even like the serpent saying, if you're the son of God, then just tell these stones to be bread. Just by magic, make it happen. But he didn't do it that way. He sent his disciples. He's sending us so that we can be the representation of what is righteous. And he tells us, that this is what we are to hunger and thirst for. It's interesting that he uses the words hunger and thirst because hunger is different from desire. It's a lot stronger. I desire a lot of things, right? I desire the Dodgers to start winning, <laughs> right? But hungering for something strong. When you're really hungry, it has a depth to it that 
is a lot deeper than just what you want. You know, I, I want a boyfriend, a girlfriend. I want that job. Those might be strong desires, but hunger is survival. I can still remember one day when I went to kindergarten without lunch. I don't know why I didn't have my lunch. I probably just forgot it somewhere. All I had was four crackers, saltine crackers. I remember it to this day. I remember those four saltine crackers. Those were the best saltine crackers I have ever had in my life. And I savored them. I, I, I rationed crackers throughout this day. I've only got four of them, so I'm going to have one at this time. I'm going to have another at this time so that I can survive school today, right? In my mind, it was like this was, you know, Survivor Series. This was alone. Before reality TV, they should have had a camera on me with my four crackers in that kindergarten because that is all I could think about. I have no idea else happened the rest of that day but i know i rationed those four crackers and all these years later i remember that day as clear as can be hunger is a big deal it is something that drives us and hunger and thirst the intensity that it causes the physical Result that takes place within us. The wanting to, to see something. Our bodies are telling us something's wrong. You need to do something to deal with this. We need something. If our hunger and thirst aren't satisfied, we come to a state of misery. Right? And some people are miserable when they're hungry. I remember taking our granddaughters to Disneyland one day. And all of a sudden, they were just monsters. And we were just like, what's going on here? Why did we bring you? And they were just like, Aah! and I'm not killing you. Like, man, it was like they were going to devour something. And then we gave them food, and they turned into angels again. We're like, oh, that's where the term hangry comes from, right? You're miserable when you're hungry. It affects you. We can't expect the world to turn itself towards righteousness. To put an end to the corruption and the things that we see that are unjust, it has to make us miserable. It has to to drive us. It has to consume us. We feed our personal hunger. We need to do something about this hunger as well. And so when Jesus says, blessed are those that hunger and thirst, for righteousness, for this justice that God wants to see take place in the world. It is something that is supposed to make us miserable when we are actually hungering for this righteousness. People sometimes will ask me, what do you think God wants me to do? You know, I'm following Jesus, but I really don't know what God wants me to do. A lot of times I'll say, what makes you mad? What is it that just really you see and it just bothers you? And sometimes that'll actually tell you where you're at. If you're just mad at things that inconvenience you, then there has to be that realignment. But if something takes place 
and it eats at you, then maybe that is a place to start. Last week, four students committed suicide in Rancho Cucamonga. I heard I haven't verified if it was because of bullying or not. But if that is the case, and the fact that this happened at all, I don't know, something happens when I hear that. I I get angry. It starts to affect me. And I believe it affects God. And I think this might be an area where we show hunger for righteousness. This might be an area where we we thirst for this. See, often the church is mad about things like they took the Ten Commandments down off of a, a building somewhere as if we're trying to uphold our rights when Jesus is seeing people without a shepherd and he's extending himself outside of himself to the needs of others. And so we have to move this frame of mind that thinks it's about us, thinks it's about holding something and hunger and hurt and be miserable for the pain that others are in that's costing them their lives. And you see, when you get angry about something like that, then it moves you. We just have to be angry about the right things. Jesus said what was happening to others. The kingdom of heaven is not going to be filled with citizens who make people read the Ten Commandments. That's the law. That's where to exceed the righteousness of the Pharisees. It's going to be filled with people who hunger and thirst for justice to take place in the lives of those around them. The promise of the Beatitudes is, for they shall be filled. They will be satisfied. And I I wonder about that because food satisfies, but only for a moment, right? I, I can eat the greatest meal and I can overeat. And I do, okay? Don't judge me. I'll enjoy that and I'll be stuffed and I'll think, oh man, that was so good. And I am so satisfied at that moment. But tomorrow I'm going to be hungry again. Tomorrow I'm going to be satisfied again. And I wonder if this hunger and thirst for righteousness is the same way. It's like we will not be satisfied until we are doing the things that bring about this justice that God wants to accomplish in the world. And we will be satisfied, but only for a moment, because tomorrow there's going to be more needs. And the day after that, there's going to be more needs. And that shouldn't make us frustrated. That should help us to see that satisfaction isn't something that is always and done with satisfaction is something that we get to live in and it helps us to grow and it doesn't i don't want to just eat one meal and not have to eat again i like food too much i want to be satisfied this afternoon for lunch i want to be satisfied for dinner i want to be satisfied for a midnight snack if i want to right i want satisfaction to be ongoing because hungering I keep thirsting. And that should be our attitude. The only thing that can satisfy is to one day see this world transformed. And until then, we are hungry and we are thirsty.
what will be the first signs that this is happening? I think the first signs is we start to see the victories of the kingdom taking place within us, where our vision moves from self and what is going to help my life to what will help the lives of others. I'm not just trying to get bread for myself. I am trying to do as Christ did and give my life to others. Want to see in the world, we have to start to see. Hunger and thirst make up another gate that we have to pass through, in a sense, the kingdom of God. It's another way to connect with God and his will. And so we don't have to be afraid of the nightly news. We don't have to be afraid of these things that we read. We don't have to to live in this fear. And we don't have to repress it, pretend it doesn't exist. We don't have to hide from it, build bigger walls, get stronger gates, better locks for our door. As with everything else, our first response is a hunger and a thirst to see things change. And when these things happen and they aggravate us, it is the hunger pains that the world needs us. And the only way we will be satisfied is when we step into the pain of the world, the injustice that is there, and start to make the difference. And I am so grateful for this community. I can't tell you guys how much you have warmed my heart and the things that we have been able to do in helping others. I will not name the people who are here in our community who we have helped with making ends meet in their home. I can talk to you about how we've done work in Haiti. Probably almost $50,000 worth of work in helping the school developed so that it could be self-sufficient with the goat and garden project that we're doing at St. Andre's School, with the cafeteria building that we've built, with the latrines that we've built, and how we've extended ourselves outside of ourselves. And it makes me feel satisfied. But if you go to Haiti, and you can be invited to go. In fact, maybe in January if you want to, you can go and see for yourself. And if you go there, you will see such a need. It will be overwhelming. And then maybe you'll see the little that we've done and you'll get a little satisfaction. But you'll still be hungry because there's still more to do. See, Jesus wants our anxious hearts when we see these things to know that I know. I know that feeling. I have felt hunger for these things as well. I know this is why I'm sending you. Because he has told us, oh man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you? But to do justice, love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. Blessed are those hunger and thirst for righteousness for they will be filled let's pray Lord I don't like being hungry but I do like being filled 
Lord, it is the hunger that drives me to, to seek out food. It is the hunger that drives us to take care of our body's needs. But Lord, what I need to do is hunger for righteousness. I need to recognize that righteousness is relational. It's not about learning more. It's not about believing more. It's not about having the right information. It's about interaction. It's about caring for those who are sick, those who are in need, those who are in prison. Lord, when we do for them, you see it as righteous. And you see it as us doing it for you. Lord, I pray that we would take this to heart. Lord, this is your destiny, your kingdom, and what you desire for the citizens, citizens of the kingdom of heaven. Lord, that is what we are. May we step into the role that is there for us. May we hunger thirst for this. And may we also be filled. Thank you again for everyone here, for what has happened in this community. May it continue to happen, Lord. And may you use these words to shape us and mold us a little bit more into your image, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together. May your heart move from hungering for things for yourself to hungering for righteousness. And may you fill that hunger and be filled. God bless you guys. Have a wonderful week. Enjoy each other's company. You have been listening to the Genesis Podcast. We invite you to join us at one of our weekly gatherings. You can find more information at www.thegenesisstory.com as well as opportunities to help financially support this podcast. Thank you for listening.